Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. If you come up with an idea or if you've got a, a point of view or if you want to deliver a message to someone that you've constructed, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, that you would be the best person to deliver that message because after all, you constructed it. It's right. my idea. So no one knows more about this idea than me because it's my idea. So clearly I am the most knowledgeable person, the person best positioned to communicate that message. But that's not necessarily the case because we don't just listen to the knowledge or the expertise of someone when we're determining whether or not we should listen to what they've got to say. You know, there's a whole host of other inferences that we actually make. And so that's 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 the inherent challenge here is is that you know when we construct these ideas we kind of figure that because because there are ideas we're the best messenger and very often that's not the case mm. that's a kind of difficult wow. there's a kind of ego depletion that occurs there isn't there you kind of like have to kind yeah. of you know talk seriously to yourself and you know give yourself a bit of a telling off and say look good idea but you know when it comes to big frames of family portraits above the fireplace sister's the best person to deliver the message in that instance yeah that we're not the trumps yeah. that was the funniest way to put it for her <laughs> i'm srini rao and this is the unmistakable creative podcast where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements built thriving businesses written best-selling books and created insanely interesting art for more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Steve, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's uh, great to be with you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually came across your book, Messengers, Who We Listen To and Who We Don't Know Why, um, because your publicist sent it to me. And as somebody who literally hosts a show, which is all about you know who we listen to and why we listen to them, uh, I was very, very intrigued by it. But before we get into the content of the book, I'm going to start asking you, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents that have shaped who you've become and what you ended up doing with your life? Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I guess my answer to that is a lesson that I learned from my father. It wasn't something that he taught me, though. It was something that I observed that he did, and he did it consistently. And I guess it's just kind of rubbed off on me. And he was one of these people who... If he said he was going to do something, he just did it. Um, he wouldn't make excuses for failing to coming through on a promise. Uh, you know, he wasn't a procrastinator. He wasn't one of these people that would kind of, you know, in a moment say, "Oh yeah, let me let me let me help you with that," and then come up with excuses a few days later as to why he hadn't got round to doing it. And that always impressed me about him. I lost him. Uh, actually, his, his anniversary is this weekend. It's going to be 20 years. 
Um, mm. And I think, yeah, that's my, you know, uh, you know, apart from lots of, you know, great memories of the the time we had together and and, and the like, you know, I, that was a quality that he had that I'd like to think that I, I try my best to live up to. Why do you think that more people aren't that way? You know, because if you go to the landmark forum, they literally say the definition of integrity is doing what you say you're going to do when you do it in big and small ways. And I, you know, one of the things they said is that when you do that, you start to actually have the power to speak things into existence. And that always stayed with me, even though I know myself well enough to know that I try really hard to commit to those things and I do screw up from time to time. Right. Why do you think more people are not like the, the, the way your dad was? Well, I don't think it's a case of they're not necessarily like that. I, I think mm. when we make these promises or, you know, when we offer help or when we even make a commitment to ourselves to to do something, be it, you know, exercise a little bit more or save a little bit more for the future or be a little bit, try to be a little bit more creative, take a course, whatever it is. I think in our heart of hearts, most of us are actually thinking, yeah, I'm going to get around to doing this. So, so it's it's not that we're being you know, dissonant or we're being capricious. I think, you know, we'd like to think that we're going to get around to doing it, but modern day life is such that stuff gets in the way. And often, even when we have the best of intents, you know, you know, kind of living up to what we uh, say or promise that we're actually going to do can, can be kind of quite tough. So that's, that's one of the reasons. The other is, is that this idea of we are largely present tense orientated. You know, we're, we're pretty good at understanding and thinking about what we need and what we want and what we're likely to do in the next five, 10 minutes, hour, you know, next couple of days even. But that kind of future self uh, is a little bit like a foreign country and, you know, we don't necessarily have the guidebook for it. So, you know, I think, you know, we can easily fall into the trap of thinking, well, I probably have the time to do that next week or next month or, uh, you know, next quarter. Um, in the case of workplace commitments and things like that. And, you know, when that time eventually comes round, our schedules are filled up, other people are competing for our time, other stuff has actually happened. We you know we're so overwhelmed with stuff that, you know, that becomes a barrier. It kind of gets in the way. So I don't think it's necessarily that we're just like uncommitted or, you know, you know, as I say, capricious about things and but but, you know, we we do find it easy, I think, to to kind of procrastinate sometimes in this crazy world that we live in, and and, and all the uh, commitments, all the uh, vice for our attention, kind of just helps us to be able to, you know, perhaps not uh, get round to doing those things that, that we're doing. It's not that we're necessarily losing our integrity. Um, I mean, there's some folks out there clearly that kind of I, I think might promise or overpromise and underdeliver you know, because it serves their goals and, you know, allows them to, you know, be more dominant or get some traction over others. But I think for most of us, you know, we'd like to be able to live up to the things we do. It's just life gets in the way. Mm -hmm. So what if any was the moment that led you down the path uh, of ending up on this career trajectory? Was there some moment in your uh, life or career, if there was any, that put you on this path? Yes, there was. Um, and it was nothing that I had any control over, which is kind of interesting because it it requires me to admit that the reason I'm doing the things that I'm doing now are largely a, a function of good fortune and, and luck. You know, I was working for a large organization, a big corporate, 
Um, you know, I was doing pretty well there. Um, and even got to start working with some pretty noted experts in the field of the psychology of influence and persuasion. And, you know, I, the work I was doing with them primarily was concerned with, well, how do we bring their expertise into our business? And then, you know, the company I was working for got acquired by an even bigger company. And I suddenly was at that crossroads in a career. You know, do I, you know, become an even smaller fish in an even bigger pond or, you know, do I kind of branch out? And, you know, the opportunity was there to continue the work, but, you know, on my own terms as a self-employed individual. And, you know, so I started working with with the team in the US and um, that was 20 years ago and haven't looked back since. Um, so, you know, a lot of hard work, a lot of effort, but that pivotal moment came about by something external to me. It wasn't, I would never have planned or considered doing this, uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, the situation conspired that you know, fortunately, and I'm incredibly lucky and, and grateful for it, that allows me to do now what I do. I genuinely think I have the best job in the world. In those moments, why do you think that so many people choose uh, the safe and secure, the tried and true path? Well, because it's, it's, it's known, I think. It is safe. Mm -hmm. We are, I, I think, largely risk-averse. Um, now, it's not to say that everyone, you know, always takes the safe option. Uh, but a lot of us do um, because, you know, the future is uncertain. It's unknown. And, you know, our past behaviors, our past experiences are the best, I guess, map or, you know, uh, kind of, yeah yeah they, they, they're kind of the best place that we can look to predict how life is going to pan out in the future and so that you know doing what we've always done or taking the safe option kind of makes lots of sense um mm. uh, so so it does take a you know sometimes a a different way of thinking uh some some enforced circumstance sometimes as well um, you know, I think, you know, looking back, I'll, I'll, I'll never be able to know this for certain, but looking back to that moment when that change occurred, you know, I wasn't offered necessarily the options on a plate with a roadmap for how each would actually pan out. Um, you know, it was largely enforced on me. And I, I think sometimes these external forces, um, conspire to kind of create a, uh, create a situation where we make a, a different decision than we maybe or ordinarily would, um, yeah. and sometimes that's quite a good thing. You know, it, it kind mm -hmm. of forces us to be resilient. It forces us to kind of take a step into the unknown. Um, and I wouldn't say that what I did was especially kind of innovative or risky because, you know, I'd, I'd still had like eight, nine years experience at a, at a big global organization that, that was never going to take, be taken off my, off my resume. So, you know, I probably had six to 12 months and if it hadn't worked out in the first six to 12 months, then, you know, I was, yeah. I could always probably go back cap in hand and say, Hey, look, you know, I tried a little <laughs> experiment, didn't quite work out. Um, yeah. you know, can I come back? So I wouldn't say it was an over risky, uh, decision that was actually made, but you know, it felt risky at the time. <laughs> it's funny. I was, I think 22, 20, 21, if I remember correctly, I was interning at Sun Microsystems. I had a job that I hated, um, basically working in the research lab and I, you know, was an economics major, so I had no business being there a bunch, you know, at, at all. And I was just doing this really mind numbing 
project, which was effectively putting people's resumes online. Uh, but I did an informational interview with a sales guy and he agreed to meet me and he was a young guy. I think he was, you know, probably 20, 20, 25 or so. And I walked into his office and he told me something I never forgot. He said, you know, I bet you have your whole life planned out and I'm here to tell you that none of it will go according to plan. And boy, was he right. Oh, absolutely. So, um, I, I, I doubt you know this about me, but, um, I write a monthly column for one of the airlines, uh, you know, British Airways, the, the in-flight magazine, you know, the, that kind of rag that goes in the, in the seat pocket in front of you. And, um, I've just finished yesterday writing the column for, I think it's May or whenever it may be. And, uh, I wrote about an old, an old boss of mine, um, and uh, one of the things he was <laughs> used to kind of enjoy saying, he'd, he'd walk around the office and say to his executives, um, the same line. It was it was something along the lines of, if you want to make God really laugh, you really should show him your business plan. And he, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like he was right because you know his point being that you know once you've written down your plan and you've put all the resources against it and the budgets and the all this kind of stuff, and you probably bound it up and turned it into a PowerPoint presentation and shared it with 50 other people, the only thing you can guarantee that it contains is something that's probably not going to happen. Uh, and he, so he had this kind of, this beautiful way of kind of, you know, essentially pulling the rug under from the from underneath our feet and, and giving us that reality check. And so I think that that story that you've just told me about you know the fact that it's these things are unlikely to happen that was born out by you know an old boss of mine who would say the same thing and you know he's right mm -hmm. so let's talk um about the ideas in the book uh, what is it that prompted your interest in writing this book of all the ones you could write um because I know that, you know, you've worked with, uh, you know, Robert Caldini, who we've had here as a guest. I know that you teach at a, you know, you lecture at schools, which I actually do want to talk to you about education, but we'll do it in the context of, of the book itself. What prompted your exploration sure. of this idea of all the things you could work on? Well, it just did seem like a natural next step. Um, you know, as you say, I've been working with Bob now for, for 20 years. That was, you know, the academic that I that I uh, got the, the the fortune to to go work with in that crossroads in my life and um, and we we wrote a book uh, together uh, kind of two thousand seven two thousand and eight a book called Yes that uh, was kind of like a practitioner's guide to employing insights from from the behavioral sciences principally you know influence and persuasion science and so you know I'd had a, a really good scholarship with Bob uh, in terms of you know, what you might put into a message that inclines people towards paying attention to it, you know, inclines people to say yes, you know, grabs people's attention in that, in that instance, persuades them. But it does seem to be the case. And uh, so I'm sitting in this office here now uh, in, in London. We've got a, a relatively small meeting room. Um, there's generally five, six people in the office most days. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll often sit here and have, you know, a lunch together in the meeting room and you know we'll talk about stuff that's going on you know something we've seen in the news or you know a conversation someone had you know with a friend the night before or, or whatever and one of the conversations we kept coming back to was how is it possible that every day the news seems to throw up another story where someone has said something someone perhaps in a high position in society someone with some notoriety 
that's clearly not true. <laughs> Yet there are people out there that believe it. Um, how is uh. how is how is that possible? And actually, inv- invariably, then our attention would be drawn to situations where and 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 I mean this this is a situation I, I talk about this. And, and people go, yeah, that's happened to me like so many times you wouldn't believe. It's that occurrence when, you know, you have an idea. Uh, I don't know, maybe an idea about something your team could do at work or a, an idea that would make work a little, you know, a little bit more fun or, you know, make uh, something you have to do in the office a little bit more efficient or productive. And it, it, you go in and you tell a few people about the idea and they look at you in that strange way as if to go, yeah, I'm really not sure that's a good idea. And then something strange happens uh, because a couple of days later, or maybe a couple of weeks later even, someone else comes along with the exact same idea that you had. And when they say it, that group of people that roundly rejected it when it was your idea are now embracing enthusiastically the very same idea. And you're just kind of thinking... (laughs) Why? I've been talking about that for weeks. So uh-huh. th- these these kind of two factors, this idea that increasingly it seems to be the case that what's being said isn't either being paid attention to or doesn't seem to matter so much for some people. And then this idea that we've all got these experiences where we can say something and it gets kind of rejected, it falls on deaf ears, someone else can say the same thing and it's you know enthusiastically embraced. What is going on there? You know, as as persuasion and influence researchers, we've always been interested in what you put into the message that captures people's attention and get them gets them to move in your direction. But this doesn't seem to be about the message at all. This seems to be about the messenger. Um, mm-hmm. Some people seem to be able to say things, and they are inherently trusted and believed. Yet someone else can say the exact same thing, and they are looked upon with suspicion or disdain, or ridicule, and we were just kind of intrigued by that, you know, because the content of what's being spoken about doesn't change, and that doesn't make sense. Uh And so one of my colleagues that um, is now back at, at University College London finishing his PhD Joe was working with me at the time, and uh, you know he's a pretty, uh, a pretty special kind of behavioral scientist. He he is destined for for future greatness. So there's no doubt about that. And you know he said, "Look, well, let's just take a look at it. You know, we're researchers. Let's just. There must be tons of research out there. You know, where you know, previous social psychologists, uh, you know, and, and behavioral scientists have, have actually looked at this phenomena. And whilst there were kind of pockets of research about the specific characteristics, no one in our field had actually taken a broader view and actually said, well, has anyone gathered up all these different traits and tried to kind of codify them? You know, what are the factors that most reliably increase the odds that someone will be listened to, regardless of the wisdom or foolishness of what they were saying? And yeah, it hadn't been done for close to four decades. And we kind of thought, wow. Well, now is the time that we need to bring up to date this body of research because um, it, so much has happened in these last four decades in terms of yeah. the advances in our science. And so those were the kind of things that kind of 
that confluence of events that kind of led us to spend the next two years, you know, researching messenger effects and then ended up writing this, uh, this book. One of my favorite ways to spread the message of our mission here at The Unmistakable Creative is through speaking. In the last few years, I've delivered keynotes and workshops to professional associations, large companies like Citibank and Meredith Corp, and even small ones on how creativity can lead to better working environments, fuel innovation, and increase the bottom line. So if you think I'd be a fit for your upcoming event and want to learn more, visit speaking.unmistakablecreative.com and get in touch. Again, that's speaking.unmistakablecreative.com. Well, I'll share a story with you that I think that it, it just, you know, you're, you, you, as you described that, it, it triggered something, you know, for me. So my sister, um, so my dad is notorious for not listening to me and my mom, you know, uh, and I'll tell you the story. So my dad bought this family portrait for my sister's wedding and it's massive. It's so big that it's obnoxious and he hung it above the fireplace. And my mom and I looked at it and we're like, this is really obnoxious. Um, you should get rid of it. And he was very adamant that it was a beautiful picture, which it is a beautiful picture, but it is massive. Like it does not belong in any family room. (laughs) Then my sister came over and she said, this is ridiculous. We're not the Trumps. Put this somewhere else. And he did. It was amazing. And the funny thing is, this is our joke with my sister. We're like, if we want my dad to do something, we just have her tell him. Yeah. Same thing with something as stupid Mm -hmm. as directions on the freeway. Okay. If we tell him hey, this is the most effective route to get there, he'll stick to his guns. If my sister calls and says, this is a better way to do it, he'll say, yeah, that sounds about right. It's amazing. Like same yeah. advice, just but coming from a different messenger. Yeah. And it makes me really you know, want to explore like why that happens. So let's it's really frustrating as well, isn't it? Of that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's incredibly <laughs> annoying. Like I, I, that's why. Yeah. I, 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 it's, <laughs> so I, it's just uh, ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I had um, someone said to me uh, when we were partway through reading the book um, that they, they said, "This is what savvy parents understand." Um, that you know, if they want their fifteen-year-old son to do his homework and to you know, kind of you know, buckle down and you know, learn what he needs to learn at school. They are the worst messengers in the world to deliver those messages. Much better <laughs> to get the cute fifteen-year-old girl that lives next door yep. to do it, and problem goes away. Uh, so, wow. yeah, that that story of um, you, know, <laughs> so you and your basically mom and your what we sister, need to do is yeah, employ cheerleaders to tell you know kids to study, and suddenly you know grades are going to skyrocket. Well, that might be one way, but I, I think there's a possibly, but there is a broader lesson there, isn't there? Which is, um, yeah. And I, and I, I fall foul of this. I think we all do that. You know, if if you come up with an idea, or if you've got a a point of view, or if you want to deliver a message to someone that you've constructed, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That you would be the best person to deliver that message because, after all, you constructed it. It's right. my idea. So no one knows more about this idea than me because it's my idea. So clearly I am the most knowledgeable person, the person best positioned to communicate that message. But that's not necessarily the case because we don't just listen to the knowledge or the expertise of someone when we're determining whether or not we should listen to what they've got to say. You know, there's a whole host of other inferences that we actually make. And so that's 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 the inherent challenge here is is that you know when we construct these ideas we kind of figure that because because there are ideas we're the best messenger and very often that's not the case mm-hmm. but that's a kind of difficult wow. there's a kind of ego depletion that occurs there isn't there you kind of like 
have to kind yeah. of, you know, talk seriously to yourself and, you know, give yourself a bit of a telling off and say, look, good idea. But, you know, when it comes to big frames of family portraits above the fireplace, sister's <laughs> the best person to deliver the message in that instance. Yeah. That we're not the Trumps. Yeah. That was the funniest way to put it for her. Uh, <laughs> so I think that, you know, you separated uh, messengers into two categories, hard messengers and soft messengers. And, you know, one of the things when I put the map in front of me, I thought, oh, wow, basically what it seems to me is that um, hard messengers are all defined by various status signals. And you name four of them. So let's start with each one. You talk about socioeconomic position. What impact does somebody's socioeconomic position have on their ability to deliver a message and whether somebody listens to them or not? Yeah. So another way that people have communicated this to us is the kind of the rich and famous. Mm -hmm. and, and socioeconomic position essentially provides information to someone who would wouldn't necessarily have all the data about who we are and whether we should be listened to about our standing in society. You know, and, and you see this in all sorts of different groups. You know, companies have CEOs. You know, uh, we have the captain of the soccer team and the basketball team and the baseball team. And, you know, those people that occupy a higher rank in an organization or a group or in a family, such as your sister when it comes to communicating to your father, for example, we afford them greater attention. And one of the reasons that we do that is we, we'd like to believe this notion of a just world, that you know, those people that have gotten on well in life, that have occupied a, a higher socioeconomic position, they've done, they've done so through hard work, through endeavor, through mm. experience and expertise. And so therefore, they demand to be listened to more, because in a just world, those are the kind of people that do rise to, to the top. And I guess the, the classic everyday example is, you know, when you meet someone for the first time, it's it's highly likely you're going to you're going to ask them so what is it that you do but when we ask that question what we're really saying is where on this social ladder are you compared to me so i can make some judgments about you that's kind of largely what that hey so what is it that you do for a living or what is it you do uh, question actually comes from and and when we see certain signals of elevated position um in certain circumstances, we might be more inclined to listen to what that person has to say, regardless of the the truth or wisdom or foolishness of what they might have to say, the content of their message. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the thing that to me has always been really interesting is that it's really easy to overlook context in these situations. You know, like people can hear me talk to people like you. And, you know, I was talking to a guy named Douglas Vigliotti yesterday. We're having, you know, conversation about very similar content. And they said, you know, like I, I, it took me a long time to realize that many of the things that I am talking about, writing about are all based on coming from a place of privilege. I didn't mm -hmm. grow up you know, in a ghetto with bullets being shot at me. I grew up the son of a college professor. That's a privileged life. Right. There's no question as to whether I was going to be educated. And I think that you know, in the online world in particular, um, you know, we don't take context into consideration nearly enough when we get advice because we think about, oh, well, this person says everybody should do this. This person's socioeconomic standing or even online status is, oh, they're, you know, famous. They're making a ton of money. I should listen to what they have to say. Yeah. But you don't look deeper into the context at all. That's exactly right. We don't. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is often we don't have the time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, 
and 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 often we we're, we're faced with questions that we have to answer that are really tough questions that there may not necessarily be an objective correct direction to go in you know so for example you know who would make a good president of the united states would <laughs> you know is leaving the eu a good or a not so good decision for great britain you know mm-hmm. um you know these these are almost impossible questions to answer and so what we'll often do when we're faced with these difficult questions is is we'll ask a much easier question of ourselves which is who seems to know what they're talking about here right. <laughs> and and the way in which we decide whether someone knows what they're talking about isn't just a function of whether they have good information or whether they're a competent expert we make all sorts of other judgments about them and 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 the, the really interesting thing about all of these traits i mean we're talking primarily at this moment in time about uh, status and socioeconomic position is that once we see that someone has this trait or we infer that they have some socioeconomic position it's very very easy then to start to assume that they have all sorts of other things mm-hmm. in their armory that have nothing to do with what got them that position in the first place yeah. you know i'm reminded of so you know your point about you know people in social media and and twitter and you know facebook and instagram these sort of examples where we see oh here's someone with like three and a half million followers uh or 15 million followers or however many it is and you know they they're a great pop star they're a great singer so maybe it makes sense for me to listen to them when it comes to deciding whether i need a flu shot or something you know that's 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 ridiculous <laughs> It, it 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 sounds ridiculous, you know, yeah. when you when you when you put it in that context, these two mm-hmm. unrelated things. Yeah. But you know, Joe and I found a, a wonderful example of that. You know, uh, that uh, it's probably a, uh, quite a, an opportune moment to talk about this, given what's going on in China at the moment in terms of you know mm-hmm. that the the the, the, the COVID nineteen virus. But back yeah. a couple of years ago, there was a Chinese pop star who literally claimed on a whatsapp type of uh you know function on their 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 their, their, their smartphone that anyone that got the flu vaccine that year there was a 90 percent likelihood they would actually catch the flu that makes absolutely no sense at all it's contrary to all medical information and and, and good science right yet there were enough people that believed them because they followed them because they saw them in that position that the chinese health board had to scramble to contain this false news this fake news that was actually coming out and wow that's that's what we're talking about here you know i don't know what the right thing to do is here yeah. um, so i'll look to this array of messengers and and here's someone that has this trait so maybe they have an ability to comment about other things as well and they, they clearly do not but that's that's how automatic uh we often um you know use these the, these ideas you know we, we see one yeah. thing in someone and we assume all sorts of other things that that are likely to be wrong but they allow us to make these quick decisions and particularly in these situations where we probably don't know what the objective and correct answer is hmm. quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, let's talk about two of the other ones. Uh, competence, competence and dominance. You know, so you know, we talked about the fact earlier. You, you know, I know that you lecture at schools. One of the things that I have always um, found interesting, and, and has this is you know always been one of my criticisms of business school, uh, even though I have an MBA, is there are a lot of people. Um, you are not one of them, obviously, because you you work in corporate. But there are a lot of professors who've never actually set foot in an environment. And I'm like, wait a minute, why are you teaching something that you know nothing about? It's just theory. <laughs> You know, and so that makes me question their competence. And I'll give you one other example of competence, which kind of you know goes back to this. This and this is the most obnoxious and ridiculous example. So, uh, and I'll preface it with saying that. But I had a friend who once you know she was exploring all sorts of entrepreneurial ideas, and she is like, "Well, I could be your dating coach." And in my mind, I thought, "Yeah, but every relationship you've had has been a failure. That would be like taking financial advice from a homeless person." I've never told her this, of course. 
but that was my thought. So let's talk about competence. Like, where do we overestimate somebody's competence? Where do we underestimate it? And why does it play the role that it does in who we listen to? Yeah, I, I think you're you're onto something with the, uh, the, the the business school professors. Well, at least at least at least some of them. But again, you know, like socioeconomic position and and these other traits, you know, competence is a reliable cue. Um, to determine quickly and easily whether or not someone is worth listening to, you know, if I, you know, if, if I've got a problem with my health, I'll go to a doctor. If I've got a problem with my car, I'll go to a a, a mechanic and hope that these people are, are competent. And and sometimes the only way that I'm able to decide whether they're competent is to, you know, basically look at them and see what they look like. You know, are they wearing the white coat? Are they, uh, you know? adorned with the stethoscope around the shoulder you know just just the mechanic have a certificate on on his garage wall these these kind of things and we're using these you know trappings or signals around that messenger to determine their their competence um and you know the thing about competent people is they they do have what in psychology we'd call instrumental value they have something we don't have which is a particular piece of knowledge about something we are currently interested in and that could help us has some value to us um so so that's essentially what's what's actually going on um but what's mm-hmm. i guess kind of you know surprising to some people and 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 ludicrous in some of the examples is is how when we see that signal of competence um how quickly we are then to kind of just believe what they say and you know go off and follow yeah. their advice uh, often when it absolutely makes no sense it's kind of interesting that you know when when we hear or see a competent individual speak often what would be irrelevant if someone else said it we're quite happy to kind of accept as fact um, yeah. and that's where it starts to get problematic okay so you're you know a professor this is where my my thing is do you think anybody who's never started a company has any business teaching entrepreneurship? Like that's insane. Like to call that person competent because they stand up in front of a room and have three letters on the end of their name is ridiculous. I can tell you this from the first hand. This is one I, I wrote a blog post about this. I said business school doesn't teach you a damn thing about how to run a business. It teaches you how to be an employee in somebody else's. Yeah, potentially. Although, although you know, I I do feel like you know I probably have to stand up for. Uh, some of my colleagues here and and kind yeah. of def- defend them somewhat. You know, you right. can make the argument that what what it might do is you know give you good information about what not to do. Um, yeah. because they're you know if they if they're gathering up examples of of, of failures and they'll certainly give you good models and and actually some of the more mechanical aspects of you know, business like, you know, cash flow, forecast, balance sheets, these kind of things, all this stuff that mm-hmm. most of us don't understand or, or can't read or, you know, I've never been able yeah. to get a balance sheet to balance. Um, oh, but, me <laughs> yeah. um, but you get the theories of it, but, but you're right. right. You know, the, until you've rolled your sleeves up and done it yourself, the, you know, yeah. that's all you have. Uh, you, you have theory, but that's what academics are, aren't they? At the yeah. end of the day, you know, um, you know, I, I once heard. In fact, actually, it was um, it was Bob Cialdini. I think it was that that actually once said that uh, you know academics are those folks that aren't interested or happy with anything that works in practice until they've tried it out in theory. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Um, and and, well, let's and that's talk about the other so, one, uh, yeah. dominance. You know, like, what yeah. do you mean by dominance? You know, is it authority? Is it uh, how does dominance yeah. show up? 
and yeah, so 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 dominance, yeah, dominance in the in the context of of our research is it describes those people that are disposition dispositionally of a mindset that everything is a competition and to the winner goes the spoils. Um, you know, the kinds of mm. people that when they they come into the room, they 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 consume the space in the room, they are overbearing, often bullying even. You know, the the people that um aren't interested in collaboration, they're not interested in signaling their benevolence. They're they're interested in signaling their position, their power. Um, and to them, you know, everything is a competition and to the winner goes the spoils. But what's really, I guess, interesting about this is, you know, because what wait, 2020 now, you, you kind of think about those people and you think, well, why would we why would we want those people in our families, in our workplaces, in our societies? You know, there's there's no value for them. Um, but what's really interesting is how young an age we become alert to the attention-grabbing features of dominant characters. You know, from as early an age as 10 months old, there have been studies that show, you know, if you if you put, you know, young toddlers in front of a screen where there are these two animated shapes, and one of them is clearly dominant and the other is clearly um, you know, in uh, you know, is being bullied by this dominant character, and then they play a game and the bullying character loses and kind of kind of recedes into the background so the 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 underdog wins the surprise this is measured by eye gaze at the screen of these 10 to 12 month old toddlers is is just so acute they they you know so you know if if from the earliest of ages you know it's almost installed in us that to the victor goes the spoils no surprise that you know in in later life and again you know we're talking about context here uh, being important but no surprise that you know we sometimes look to these dominant characters um mm-hmm. you know uh, and you know particularly when we are in situations of you know perhaps uncertainty or anxiety mm-hmm. um you know that's that that that's that's when you know, uh, the dominant messenger or, or leader is is most likely to thrive, which um, will probably, I guess, uh, raise in your listeners' minds. Um, you know, the thought that well, do do certain dominant characters deliberately induce fear in order for their dispositional personality to be the one that's likely to be called upon in that instance? And I I do see that. Um, I think that's yeah. entirely the case. Well, I think about North Korea when you say that. Um, yeah. So let, let's talk about attractiveness. Uh, you know, the thing that I was kind of going through my mind um, when I was thinking about attractiveness is, you know, as a single guy, you know, when I go on a date, I realized that you know it's really easy to um, judge somebody based on first impressions, and attractiveness definitely skews that. At least it has in, in my experience that you know. I realize my first impressions are often inaccurate and that it's a person's character over time that or actions over time that really, you know, reveal their character. Mm. Why is that? Like, why do we fall victim to that? Is, and is there anything we can do about it? Is there any way we can, you know, prevent our emotions from clouding our judgment when it comes to attractiveness? Yeah, that's a good questions. Um, I mean, I mean, it is tough. Well, let's, let's take the easy one first. Why do we do this? Why are we attracted to attractive people? Um, and the simple answer is that from an evolutionary perspective, attractive 
people have what we call mate value. Mm. Um, you know, that ability to ensure that the, the, the best genes, those that are, are blessed, uh, you know, gets passed down the evolutionary chain. And so, you know, we're, we are alert to those kind of uh, attractive cues, uh, particularly those facial ones, um, you know, of symmetry and, and youthfulness and, and interestingly, averageness as well, which does surprise people because they think, well, why would an attractive person have an average face? And well, it is actually the case that they do. And you know, it, it's not because of something that they actually have about their uh, physical demeanor in that instance. It's, it's actually more about what they don't have. You know, having an average face essentially is signaling, you know, there's nothing wrong with me genetically here in, in, in that instance, um, yeah. which, is, which is important, you know, if you consider the mate value aspect of it. Um, okay. But where, it, uh, yeah, I mean, where... Where it does become problematic, of course, is is that you know that's a single snapshot decision, you know that we make within you know a matter of tens of milliseconds whether someone is yeah. attractive or not. You know it takes longer to understand who they are as a person. You know their 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 warmth, their uh, their compatibility, their their values, these kind of things, and 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 that actually takes uh, a lot longer. Um, but it's not just when it comes to choosing mates that the attractiveness bias or halo kicks in um mm -hmm. you know it's been shown uh, by actually a pair of economists in the u.s that you can even put a a value on lifetimes earnings um mm. of of being born you know you know above average in attractiveness it's about 10 to 15 yeah. percent uh, uh compared to a norm um or, or a mean rather uh, across a lifetime um attractive people uh, you know, more likely to get the job, uh, get get a get better grades at school. Um, yeah, uh, being born genetically blessed is is a real advantage. Hey, it's Trini. I hope you're liking this episode of the Unmistakable Creative. Did you know that every Sunday, our community manager Melina sends out ten key takeaways from episodes like this one. All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com/newsletter, and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. Okay. So this is, this is, you know, kind of interesting. Um, so, you know, sometimes you see attractive people who are, have incredibly low self-esteem. You know, they don't see themselves as attractive and other people do. I, I had a friend in college once who told me this <clears throat> and I thought it was the, you know, I remember it pissed me off at the time. And, you know, now I look back and realize how maybe right he was. He was this short, bald guy who didn't have any, you know, like qualms about walking up to any girl. And he once told me, he said, man, if I had your looks and your height, I would be killing it. And mm. he said, you, on the other hand, have no confidence. You're fucked. And, <laughs> you know, and I remember thinking about that and I remember it made me really angry, but I, I kind of looked at it and, you know, like looking back now, you know, if you put the two of us together probably he has some validity in saying that. Um, so I wonder about that. And also, is it possible, just given that, to change our perceived level of attractiveness to somebody of the opposite sex or even a potential romantic partner, whether it's you know not just sure. the opposite sex? Sure, sure. Well, that's pretty blunt feedback <laughs> that he gave you that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it wasn't wrong. Yeah, no, no, no. So, so, um, so well, the, I mean, so one of the things that's actually going on there um, is is what I'd regard as almost like a, a contrast effect. Um, mm. You know, so although we have these, uh, I guess, primary signals that determine whether someone is attractive or not, 
um, what I think amplifies those effects are how we then compare them to someone else. So if we see two people um, side by side, it's it's a lot easier to determine uh, who is the the more attractive and the, and the less attractive than if we just see a, a single evaluation in that instance. And so, um, <laughs> so go out with your ugly friends. Yeah, in other words, yeah. So so yeah. Well, this is it. Or, or you know, to, to to you know, you know, if if you're a guy and you want to appear tall uh, in a bar, it helps to have short friends uh, <laughs> because well. yeah, you know, it, it's not like. People are going out with tape measures and going, well, what is he? Is he kind of like six foot two? Is he six foot three? They're, they're largely kind of like, well, look at the person that he or she is with and yeah. compared to those people. That's how we make our judgments in, in, wow. in, you know, in, in that instance. So that, 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 that comparison. So, so okay. there's one way immediately that you can, you can probably boost your perceived height um, mm-hmm. is, is to have shorter friends or, you know, slightly less attractive, uh, you know, pals, the, 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 yeah. these kind of things. So, you know, if you are in that game um, and you really need to consider the, the, the ethics and the, you know, the, <laughs> the responsibility of actually doing this, but, but yeah, I mean, oftentimes you don't necessarily have to change yourself. You need to change who right. you are being compared to. That's hilarious. Like, can you imagine just like calling friends? It's like, you're the shortest person I know. You want to go out tonight and be my wingman? Uh, what was that really famous? That- uh, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, sorry uh, no, 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 this is just kind of interesting is that um, this never made the book. Um, but we did have a look at, uh, for this chapter, um, this concept of wing women. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the idea that if a guy is out and there's, you know, he, he has some attractive women around him, they are actually become more attractive to other single women in that same mm. environment. And so wow. there, there are websites and services where a guy can, you know, essentially employ a, a wing woman um, uh, and as a result significantly increase his dating success uh, wow. because, because other women, you know, will, will, will look and go, well, if, if she's interested in him, what does he have? What is it about him that yeah. uh, I might be interested in too? Um, so yeah, there's, I, I mean, we, as you say, we've got the internet now. You can pretty much buy any service you like. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this actually raises one other question uh, about race and skin color. You know, I wonder about, you know, as somebody who is a non-white person living in the U.S., and I remember the, the Dane coach that I had some work with, he actually wrote a blog post about this, you know, talking about the role that, you know, your skin color can play in your dating life, particularly in online dating. Uh, what, you know, do you know anything about that? Like, you know, how, how can I spin that to my advantage is literally the question I'm trying to get to. Yeah, so, I mean... Towards the end of the book, we do talk about different contexts where kind of like universally found contexts where these messenger traits are, you know, uh, you know, more likely to play out. So, so, so race, for example, culture more generally, um, gender as well, um, you know. Although some of these things are actually changing, you know, so what's really interesting, there's, there's some 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 research that's actually recently come uh, uh, to publication that that has looked at perceived competence across the genders uh, over the last close to fifty years now. Um, and what's 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 interesting is is that you know typically the last thirty five forty years or so um, you know men have always traditionally been seen as more competent than women, um, and you can track those graphs. Um, but yeah. the 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 line has the line has shifted. That the, the the lines met. 
and and now uh, if anything the evidence is suggesting that women are are, are seen as more competent than men um mm. so 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 that's changing but yeah so we do talk about those the, 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 those kind of aspects they're they're kind of important but um mm. the the traits themselves transcend those contexts because they are largely well they're not largely they are human in nature and and you know regardless of our skin color our gender our cultural upbringing you know our our human machinery largely operates in exactly the same way. Yeah. Well, let's get into the soft messengers. We've spent so much time talking about the hard ones, I think, just because I have so many questions about them. But um, in the interest of time, I want to focus on uh, two of them, vulnerability and charisma. Right. Uh, you know, vulnerability is an interesting thing for me because I think Brene Brown definitely popularized the whole idea of vulnerability. But yeah, sometimes I think that we uh, confuse vulnerability with seeking pity. Like I see this online quite a bit and I've been as guilty of it as most people where it's just like, oh, this is me, you know, airing my dirty laundry on Facebook and yeah. knowing yeah. that, wow, if I do this, it'll get hundreds of likes or attention. And I'm, now, of course, I'm much more mindful about that. But why is that? What is that about? Um, why is it that we listen to somebody who is willing to have public vulnerability almost to a fault sometimes? Yeah. Well, to, just just briefly to your point, because um, I think you're right, that, that self-pitying uh, kind of character it does strike me as being more tactical in nature than authentic you know what i mean mm-hmm. um yeah. you know if, if, I, if i'm doing it to get a like or if i'm doing it to kind of just you know you know get some instant feedback that people are listening to me in that instance i, I you know I, I see that as largely tactical but more broadly um you know it's it's actually and and brenny brown is exactly right about this to express a vulnerability requires some considerable strength because mm. essentially what you're doing is you're saying i i don't have dominance i don't have socioeconomic position i don't necessarily have attractiveness i i'm not necessarily seen as charismatic all these other messenger traits aren't available to me and but in order to be heard i essentially need to open myself up to expressing some uh downside to my situation or or some you know you know, weakness that I actually have or, or just some, some need. And what compounds that is this idea that when we know that we're in a position of need and, and we, you know, are are really our best route uh, to achieving that is to kind of open ourselves up, be vulnerable. We, we significantly underestimate other people's likelihood to want to help us, to say yes to us. And I think one of the reasons for that is is that we primarily focus our attention on the economic costs that they will then incur if they try and help us. Whereas in reality, and we all know this, when someone comes to us and we can see that they're in a a position of of want or need genuinely, um, our desire is not to start to calculate the odds of us helping them in terms of lost resources and our time. You know, our overwhelming desire in that instance is is a human, social one, to want to connect with them and, and, and help as best we can. So we typically underestimate the likelihood that people will respond when we signal these these wants, these needs, when we ask them. So, you know, an immediate, I think, takeaway from that insight is we should be really asking people for help more often. Um, and actually, if we do, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that whole reciprocal exchange will actually start to play out as well, and they'll be more willing to come to us as well. So... You know that 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 that's to, to, 
to, to express a vulnerability, you're, you're essentially trusting others, sometimes strangers, with, you know, your innermost kind of frailties. Uh, and that strikes me as being an incredibly strong thing to do. And, and for some of us, sometimes that's all that's available to us. But I think the good news is, uh, from a lot of the research, that um, uh, the fact that we are under, underestimating people's likelihood that they will want to help us. So mm. th- there's, there's, a, there's, there's a silver lining there. No. Well, let's talk about this idea of charisma. I feel that mm-hmm. charisma is one of those things that is so sort of misunderstood and, and mysterious. You know, like, I, look, in some contexts, I feel charismatic, and others, I feel like a bumbling idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how do you define charisma? What you know role does context play in all of that, and what impact does charisma have on who we listen to? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you're absolutely right about the. Mi- the, 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 the the challenge sometimes that we have in, in, in describing exactly what it is. Um, I, you know, the best description uh, to date, uh, I now have a, an updated scientific one, but in, until like a couple of years ago, uh, we used to describe charisma as being a little bit like hardcore pornography insofar as I know it when I see it. Mm. And, but then when you said to people, well, okay, if you know it when you see it, describe it to me. They're like, and then you get this kind of hodgepodge of different, you know, descriptions. Um, but it was, I think, 2016 that the scientific community finally came to some sort of consensus about what charisma is um, and how it's made up. And it seems that there are three things that are important. Um, and what's especially important about these three things is that they are all learnable. So we can all learn to be a little bit more charismatic. Um, so the first is this ability that charismatic messengers seem to be able to coalesce their audience towards one unifying vision. When they speak to others, they're not speaking to individuals in an audience. They are, they are essentially um, marshalling that audience behind a single unifying vision that everyone can sign up to. We're going in this direction. And what's really interesting about the impact that that actually has on audiences is that um, it kind of induces a form of awe in their audiences. And awe is really interesting because when we feel that sense of awe, we tend not to think about our personal needs in that moment in time. We tend to kind of look outside of ourselves and think more broadly to the wider group. Um, And so those communicators that are able to tap into a collective vision that's important to that group and communicate it in that way, uh, that's that's tick number one for charisma. Tick number two is what our psychologists call surgency. Surgency is kind of linked to extroversion in a way. It's this ability to be able to kind of communicate in a positive, uplifting way. Um, and some of the ways that they actually do that is through their their body language. Um, you know, uh, so for example, we find that, um, Ted talk presenters, um, let's say we take two Ted talk presenters and they're talking about the same subject, maybe leadership, for example. Um, the content's largely the same. The messaging is largely the same, but the, the presenter who's most likely to get the larger share of the views we found is the presenter that uses about twice as many hand gestures as his comparable peer. Wow. 
Um, and what's really interesting about this is, and we don't get to talk so much about this, but it's a, a kind of really interesting, fascinating insight from those studies is even when you turn those presenters, the videos of them, into animated stick men, so you can't see their mm. facial features, you can't see if they're male or female, all you can see is yeah. the kind of the mechanical movement, that finding holds true. So there's wow. something there about that positivity and that, and that hand move. And the third thing, uh, so tick number two, tick number three is the ability to speak in metaphors and employ what we would call quick thinking. Um, which isn't the same as intelligence. Um, so, you know, this, this ability to come back with a, a quick retort, you know, or a, a snappy, pithy one-liner, uh, or to use metaphors in, in their language to kind of build those kind of emotional connections, you know. So, you know, we found, for example, we looked back at um, inauguration speeches uh, of, 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 of U.S. presidents, and, and we find a clear pattern that those presidents that in their first inauguration speech um, used plentiful metaphors and analogies were much, much more likely to serve a second term than those presidents who who really didn't use that many metaphors and analogies in the, in, uh, were a little bit more, um, uh, you know, uh, just kind of straight down the line with their, uh, with their, with their speech, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a little bit more politic than, than yeah. polished in that instance. Um, so that that's kind of what makes up charisma. And I think the really important thing to take away from me there is um, this idea that we don't have to look on enviously at certain charismatic, uh, charismatic people and think, oh, I wish I was born with the skill that they actually had. Um, you know, assuming that, you know, we're willing to make that commitment and live through that promise and that strength and conviction. All of us can 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 learn some, uh, some like, tips and, in, you know, tricks from the inside to to come across as a little more charismatic. Hmm. So I think the thing that struck me the most, um, and uh, we'll, we'll get right, wrapping up here, but uh, you know, you said that it was the ability to speak to a group at large as opposed to one person. And the reason mm-hmm. I think that that stood out to me was because one of the things that you will often hear about people like Bill Clinton um, and other people that I've, I've talked to, they say that what makes a person seem charismatic to them almost hypnotic is they will talk to you like you're the only person in the room even if there's a thousand people there yeah yeah when you're in an individual conversation yeah exactly that's 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 the kind of feeling that we actually have they're they're talking to everyone in the room they're they're talking at such a truistic level often but it sounds like they're talking to me i can buy into this but they, they can't just be talking to me because there's 999 other people in the room that are also thinking he's clearly just talking to me. So he's clearly talking to that group in that instance. It's a real skill to be able to, it requires planning actually, you know, to be able to go into an audience and actually think what are the unifying features or factors or values of this particular audience? And how do I craft, you know, my, my proposition, my presentation, my, my stump speech, if that's what it is to speak to, so many people that it feels like each and every one of them feels that I'm just speaking to them. So it's, it's a real skill, but it can be learned. Hmm. Wow. Uh, this has been fascinating. Uh, I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk and I got to ask you all these questions about the book. So uh, I want to finish with one final question, which is how we finish all our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is to make somebody or something unmistakable? Sorry, I just missed that last what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Ah, uh-huh. 
<clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, I, the obvious answer for me is is that there's probably something aligned to one of these 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 messenger traits, but um, and so I'm trying to think of something that isn't so obvious actually and and actually there is something uh what what makes someone unmistakable to me is that person that that is they they're with you after they've gone there, there's 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 something about them it's something they've said it's something they've done it's the way that they've looked at a particular idea or or or, or feature or something you just think how did they how did they think about that and that's kind of that's genius i've i've never really considered they 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 just flip the coin the other way and you suddenly look at something in a different way and and you're kind of left you know those sometimes you just you, you get to meet someone and towards the end of the day you're still thinking about wow that was they they just seem to kind of still be there um that's clearly uh you know that 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 unmistakable trait i think that that, that i should see so I, I i do see that sometimes and and i think it is a creative thing um mm. you know it, it's very easy you know we started out here actually didn't we we were talking about how easy it is to kind of you know plan to do something but you know we kind of fall back on our own habits so that you know that that individual that comes in and, and is able to just to kind of interrupt our thinking in such a way that you're still thinking about it later in the day, maybe the following week. Um, I, I think that's a pretty good sign of, 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 of being uh, someone that's unmistakable. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough uh, for taking the time to join us and share your story and your wisdom with our listeners. This has been really, really fascinating. I am going to have to go back through it and dig it apart and go find some really short friends to go start hanging out with. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. You were going to say, you were going to talk to me about teaching, I think. Yeah, we did <clears throat> touch on it a little bit. I mean, we could have gotten probably a lot deeper into the whole idea of teaching, but where can people find out more about you, your work, the book, and everything else that you're up to? Well, uh, the book is called Messengers, Who We Listen To, Who We Don't, and Why. Uh, for anybody that's actually interested in what their preferred messenger style or trait is, there's a test that they can take. Uh, it's free. It probably requires six or seven minutes of your time, and you can follow the links at messengersthebook.com. Dot com, uh, where you can also start reading the book. Uh, that we've put the first uh, chapter up there, and if you like the book and like to continue reading, then it's available. You know, in those all the usual places. Um, but take the test. Uh, that that might be a good starting point. Hmm. Amazing. Uh, and for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating? inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming. Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that, and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.